Blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Jesus said, the first commandment is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. As we prepare to celebrate the mystery of Christ's love, let us acknowledge our sins and ask the Lord for pardon and strength. Most merciful God, I have confessed that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbors as myself. I am truly sorry and I humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. The absolution remission of all your sins, true repentance, minimum of life, and the grace and consolation of his Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy.
and with your spirit. The collect. Almighty and everlasting God, increase in us the gifts of faith, hope, and charity, and that we may obtain what you promise. Make us love what you command. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Rowan. Rowan. You got one. Come on, Will. <laughs> Lord, we pray that you bless these boys. You keep them safe, Lord, and continue to speak to them uh, the great things in your gospel, Lord. Bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning's first reading comes from Jeremiah, chapter 31, beginning in verse 7. For thus says the Lord, sing with gladness for Jacob and shout among the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the ends of the earth, among them the blind and the lame. The woman with child and the one who labors with child. Together, a great throng shall return there. They shall come with weeping and with supplications. I will lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. The word of the Lord. This morning's psalm is Psalm 126. We'll read responsibly by the asterisk. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, then our mouth was filled with laughter. And our tongue was singing. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. And we are glad. Bring back out captivity, O Lord, those who sow in tears, he who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. This morning's second reading comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 7, beginning at verse 23. Also, there were many priests, because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, He is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, 
harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily, as those high priests, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness. But the word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints the son who has been perfected forever. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Mark. St. Mark, chapter 10, beginning in verse 46. Now they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road, begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you. You may be seated. Let's open with a word of prayer. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart may be always acceptable to you, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. So I just got back from a wonderful clergy retreat up in Henderson, Nevada, right next to Vegas. And uh, my good buddy, John House, is now Father John House. So I'm very excited for that. The ordination service was fantastic. Um, We had the patriarch come into town and he gave us a very simple message. And it actually was an exact echo of what Father Jim preached last week. And that is change or die. Or in Christian language, change and die and then be resurrected, right? And so I think God is trying to speak something to us as a people that he is calling us forward in our walk with him. Because the only path forward in Christianity is the way of the cross. And so as we talk today, let's talk through what this might look like, and in fact I think is analogous in uh, our gospel today. 
First of all, I want to tell you, I want to bring up the uh, first line of our collect, which succinctly describes the Christian life. We prayed, Almighty and everlasting God, increase in us the gifts of faith, hope, and charity, and that we may obtain what you promise, make us love what you command. There's so much richness in just that one line. If you look here, I mean, it's not even a full sentence, and yet it summarizes what God wants to do in our hearts as we become Christians. He wants to increase the gifts of faith, hope, and charity, those three great virtues. What remains in the end? Faith, hope, and love. And then in order to obtain his promise, he wants to make us love what he commands. So what is faith in this context? Faith is trust in God that we may follow him without seeing where he leads. Extremely important when you think about Jesus' statement to blind Bartimaeus that his faith had made him well. He couldn't literally see where he was going. And the faith was, I'm going to follow Jesus even though I cannot see. And then hope. Hope is the persevering desire to see the goodness of God in our life and an expectation of that goodness. Now, what does that mean? I'm talking about the persevering desire to see God's goodness in your life. There are people who, because they are so hurt, because they are so broken, because of the challenges of this life, they give up hope and they give in to despair. So what do they give up? They give up even the desire for goodness because they have given up all expectation that it could ever come to pass. I've met people who are at that moment of despair, who are on the brink, and who are asking, but why? Why should I even continue living? And my answer is always the same. It's because there is a God in heaven who loves you and wants your good. And not only that, but he's also able to deliver that. Now, of course, in particular context, if you're talking to somebody who's having that conversation, you might use less religious language to communicate that to them. You might get on their level and say, you are loved, you are worthy, you are worth it. Don't give up. But us as Christians, more than anyone, could stand on a foundation that no matter what we see, we can have that persevering hope. No matter what we see in the world, no matter what we see in our lives, we will never give up our sure and certain hope. And lastly, of course, charity, which means a tall blonde nurse, my sister in Arizona, right? No, it means love. It's an old-fashioned word for love. And what does this particular love refer to? Because it's actually differentiated from the other words in Scripture. I'm going to argue that this would mean orienting ourselves towards God's self-sacrificial love and acting in the best interest of others. That's my, that's my definition of love today, an extremely complex term that could go on for miles and miles. But I would say if you orient yourself towards what Jesus did on the cross, towards God's love for us, and you act in the interest, not of yourself, but of those around you, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about charity. And let me tell you, it is not an easy task because you know what? I like what I like. I want it my way. You see it every day you have an opportunity where your will, your desire is going to conflict with somebody else. Unless you literally hold yourself up in a room all day long and don't talk to anybody, you're going to come up against people and they're going to want something that you don't want. It's just the way it is. But you know what? Love says actually it's more important that I look out for your interest than that I look out for mine. 
Now, that doesn't mean we don't love ourselves, right? The great commandment, love others, love others as you love yourself. But what you'll find is actually it's in your own best interest to love others. Actually deferring to one another in love is how you love yourself well. And you don't defer to one another because your desires are less worthy than theirs. In fact, this love is one that gives out of a place of abundance and security. You see people all the time who are constantly looking to serve others because they're insecure in themselves. Because they don't think they're worth noticing or paying attention to. That's not what I'm talking about. That is not the love that God talks about. The love that God talks about is a cup overflowing. That you are so secure in the love of God in your life that you're able to lay down your own will for those around you. That's the type of love we should be striving for. And we're praying because none of us are there. We ask for the increase of these things because none of us have them. So don't be worried if you're thinking, man, I could use some faith. I could use some hope. I could use some love. That's why we come to church. That's why we pray. That's why we seek God because he is the one who's able to bestow these things in our life. And then, of course, we get to our favorite part. You want the promises of God? I know everybody here wants the promises of God. At the very least, if you can't think of anything specific, he promises us righteousness, peace, and joy. That's pretty darn good. I want those things. If you want the promises of God, you have to love what he commands. It's never easy with God. It's usually simple, but it's never easy. But I will tell you, it's always worth it. Later, we're going to read in Ephesians about turning from deceitful desires. So what does it mean to love what God commands? The problem with sin is that we convince ourselves that the sin that we're committing at that moment will satisfy the desires of our heart. Ultimately, that's what it is, right? It says sin is birthed in desire. And then when it comes to fruit, it leads to sin, which then leads to death, right? And so what is sin? It's acting on the wrong desire. It's acting on deceitful desire. It's acting on a lie. For instance, let's say your boss is just laying into you and just had a problem with you. He's laying it all out before you. And maybe you weren't the problem. Maybe it was somebody else. Maybe it was something that wasn't even your responsibility. Well, in my sinful heart, my response is probably going to be to yell right back at him. Get off my back, man. That's not me. That was Gavin. It's always Gavin. No, I'm just kidding. Um, But the point is, right, you could easily respond in your sinful desire for justification with anger. But Scripture tells us actually a soft answer turns away wrath. And so if you want to be a peacemaker, and I think we do because Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, maybe stop yourself. And answer softly. And you know what? When you answer softly and then your boss goes, oh, man, I'm sorry. I didn't realize that wasn't you. I'll be better next time. I'm sorry about that. All of a sudden, you're like, wow, that worked. Now, even if it doesn't work, because trust me, I've had soft answers where somehow the scripture of turning away wrath didn't quite go the way I expected it to. But there's something in you that knows that you are responding correctly, righteously in that moment. And you have deferred your anger in the interest of the person across from you. And if you just keep doing that, you start to actually want to respond that way. I'll tell you, I want to respond that way to my wife, right? 
it's so easy. She's like, why do you always use us fighting as an example? Because it's easy. We don't fight that much. But when we do, it's something I really care about. There's no one in the world that I care more about being on the same page with than my wife. And so when we fight, I really have a stake in the matter. It's something where I really feel I want to resolve it. And when you see over and over again, if I respond in anger, then it just ratchets up the situation. But if I respond with a soft answer, or if she responds with a soft answer, it completely diffuses it. And so you train yourself to want to respond that way. So what do you do? You actually train yourself to love what God commands in that situation. That's how we get transformed, is we start following him in faith, not knowing where he's leading. We have hope that there's good things to come, and we don't give up on that. And then we love the person in front of us, and then God rewards that love, and ultimately leads to what he promises. That little line there, almighty and everlasting God, increases in us the gifts of faith, hope, and charity, and that we may obtain what you promise, make us love what you command. That is the Christian journey of transformation. So how do we get there? I would argue that today's gospel lesson is how we get there. It's an, it's an example of what that journey looks like. Traditionally, when you interpret scripture, especially in the ancient fathers, they loved to not only give the historical interpretation. There was a man, he was begging, God healed him with his miraculous power. Jesus healed him by his faith. He was made well. And they expound upon that. They don't just talk about that historic story, but then they often spiritualize it. They give you an, they make it into an allegory. And this one in particular is used commonly as an allegory for the Christian life. And so we're going to start in Mark and we're going to read through this gospel lesson and see what we can pull out of it. And like I said, the historical thing happens. Jesus did it. But I'm going to be reading this symbolically for our benefit this morning. Now they came to Jericho. As he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. So if you think of Jericho, of course, what do you think of? You think of veggie tales. Keep walking, but you won't knock down our wall. Keep walking. Okay, maybe just me. But there's this veggie tales episode, right? They walk around the thing and the walls fall down. But maybe what you don't remember from that story is that God condemns Jericho as a wicked city, just like Sodom and Gomorrah. You can put Jericho right up there with Nineveh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Nineveh, of course, repented, but they were wicked cities. And so when Jericho is used here, the ancient father said it was a city of sin. So where was Bartimaeus living? Blind Bartimaeus was living in his sin. But you could imagine that he was in the center of the city. He was down in the depths of his sin, and he realized, I need healing for my blindness. So where did he go? He went all the way as far as he could take himself. He went to the gate of the city because we have no power in ourselves to save ourselves. He couldn't go beyond begging at the gate. He couldn't see the way free. But he put himself in a position where when Jesus came, he was there. Now, I'm going to tell you, we're in a unique position now because of the work that Jesus has done, where no matter where you are, if you turn, he is there. We aren't bound like he was when he was walking on earth to his physical location. Jesus is actually right there with you wherever you're at. But you have to put yourself at the gate. It says Jesus stands at the door and knocks. Well, if you're hiding in the bedroom three doors down, you're not going to even hear him. You've got to find your way and turn away from the place 
of your brokenness and look for him. That's what we see with Bartimaeus is that he's looking for salvation. He's begging people for sustenance. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. The humility that came from his own brokenness to cry out in front of the crowds and try and get Jesus' attention is apparent. We don't even like to go to confession with our priests. We don't even like to tell our mentor what we're struggling with. We want to keep it all bottled up because we don't want anybody to know what's going on inside. And yet this man was at the place where he realized that actually the pain of people knowing his sin was worth it because his sin was too great for him to bear. Like I said, I'm interpreting this spiritually, allegorically, right? He's wearing this weight, this sin, this blindness, this, this brokenness, and he's, he's not ashamed. He's not more ashamed of his sin than he is willing to call out, even in front of the crowd that tells him, be quiet, don't do that, don't do it. And you see this pattern over and over again. When people are really wrestling with a sin in their life, what's the first thing you tell an alcoholic to try and not be an alcoholic? Don't hang out with that crew of people that you're going drinking with every night. Separate yourself because the people around us that we surround ourselves with in our sin are often going to resist our turn in looking for salvation. Now, of course, you may have your own private sin that nobody knows about. Well, guess what? There's going to be resistance. There's a common quote that says the way of healing is always blocked. There's always a resistance in us to turning towards God. But if we persist and call out to him, God shows up. That's the message here. It's not that it's going to be hard. That's part of the message. You need to know that. But when you persist in calling out to him, that's why we say every Sunday, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. It's the same cry. Son of David, have mercy. Jesus, have mercy. I will tell you, there is never a call for mercy that goes unanswered. God always hears us when we cry. So Bishop Bates talked of a study this weekend that polled hundreds of top leaders in business, CEOs, executives, and they basically said, if you had to make a significant change in your life, would you rather make that change or die? And 90% of them said they'd rather die than significantly change their lifestyle. Now, that seems absurd, and of course, I don't know exactly how the survey was presented, all that stuff, but it makes sense when you look at people who are struggling with addiction, and they choose their addiction over their life. That doesn't just have to be a physical death. It could be your addiction to escapism. I'm just going to binge watch Netflix every night and not address the problems in my life, not lead my family or not go into the places God has called me. I'm going to do the thing that's comfortable, that's easy. It's worse for me to think of changing my life than it is to think of dying. That's pretty harsh, right? But what Christ teaches us is that although change is difficult, it requires determination, it requires perseverance, that he will make a way. That if you turn to him, he makes the way. And that's what we see in this next verse. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man saying, be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. 
So you have Jesus, and he's on this whirlwind tour. He's got three years on earth, and he can only be in one place at a time. And he is walking and doing the things of God. He is so busy that even when he tries to go and pray, they follow him and look for him. And yet he always stops when people cry out for mercy. He always stops and notices the one. We see story after story after story. He stops and is moved with compassion, and he heals people when they cry out to him. I will just say, if you're too busy to love the people in your life, to love the people God has brought into contact with you, you're too busy. You might want to think about that. And I say that like it's all about talking to myself here. I'm preaching right to myself because it is so easy for us to get caught up in the things. And they could be good things. They could be the things of God. And then we just miss the people. God kind of put us here to be loving to people. Even the programs that we do are not as important as the people that we're doing them for, right? So we need to be able to stop and hear the cries of the people around us, the cries for mercy, the cries for love. So Jesus stops, and he doesn't go back to blind Bartimaeus, right? This guy is blind. He's got a disability. Jesus doesn't go over there and go, oh, I'm so sorry. Let me heal you here. No, he calls him to come out of that place and to meet him. And the very call of Jesus is the power that gives blind Bartimaeus the ability to step out of that place, out of the city of sin, and to approach him. Now, what we're taught in Scripture is that Jesus is calling each one of us to turn to him, to turn from our ways, and to acknowledge him, to receive the love of Christ. In Jesus' call comes the strength to rise up and go. God always imparts the power we need to fulfill the calling that he's given us. By his very word to us, commanding us or calling us, he gives us the power to accomplish it. And so we see this great moment, and there's, this translation's a little bit um, tame compared to the other one I was reading. But it says, and throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. The other one said, he sprang up and ran to Jesus. I like that one better. But the point is, he gets the, he gets the word, Jesus is here. And he springs up and he runs to him. And we get this great symbolism, of course, of throwing aside his garment. That takes us right to Ephesians 4, um, beginning in verse 20. But that is not the way you learned in Christ, assuming you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth in Jesus, but to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So what do we see there? We see actually the call of Christ is always to put off the old self. So the garment that he's leaving behind, right? he's putting off his old self, the corruption, the deceitful desires that would lead to sin. And he's coming to Jesus to be clothed in righteousness, to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Well, this guy's blind. What's the deal here? Well, spiritually, it's always been used that blindness is about not being able to see the truth about being deceived. Jesus accuses the Pharisees of having eyes, that they, but they don't see, of ears, but they don't hear. There's a spiritual blindness that is even more dangerous than the physical blindness, where we can't see the truth that would set us free. He's putting off the old self, and he's going to Jesus to be renewed in the spirit of his mind and clothed in righteousness. 
And so Jesus answered and says to blind Bartimaeus, and I love when Jesus does this. He gets this blind guy who's coming up to him, and it's obvious that he's blind. Somebody's leading him by the hand, and he says, what do you want me to do for you? Well, duh, Jesus, you're the healer. I want you to take away my sight. But Jesus is always giving the person the chance to choose to ask. What is he doing? He's giving them the chance to operate in faith. Because we're told later that it's actually the faith of Bartimaeus to ask to receive his sight, to call out to Jesus, that is what makes him well. It's a little bit funky there, huh? I thought Jesus was just a superhero, just walking around, zap, you're good, zap, you're good. No, that's not how God wants to work in our life. God wants to work with us. He wants to work in us and through us. There are times where... Jesus says, he goes to his hometown and he says, due to the lack of faith, I can't do the miracles here. Not because God is somehow unable or lacks the power, but actually because they reject him, he will not override their will. He requires us to ask. He requires us to go to him, to have the faith to approach him. Not because he's harsh and he doesn't want to help people. That's not it at all. He's constantly asking us and wooing us and making a way for us to come to him. He's constantly working on our behalf. But ultimately, it comes down to, are you going to accept what he wants to do in your life? So Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And I want to ask you guys. Jesus tells us over and over again that anything we ask in his name, you can have. What are you going to ask him for? I don't think there's many better answers than Bartimaeus's. He says, Rabbani, teacher, that I may receive my sight. Of course, you remember, we're interpreting this allegorically. But I want Jesus to open my eyes. I've got 20-20 vision as far as I know. But I want him to open my eyes and my heart to see what he is doing in our life, where he is leading us, because it can be really hard to discern the will of God in your life, when you get bogged down by the cares and worries of the world, when you get caught up in your sin, it blinds you to what God wants to do in your life and to what God wants to do is righteousness, peace, and joy. So, of course, then Jesus says, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. So what does Jesus say? He says, go your way, your faith has made you well. But when blind Bartimaeus' eyes are open, he sees Jesus. And where is his way? My way is following him. Okay, it reminds me of an example. I saw this clip on Facebook. I was scrolling through this morning, you know, procrastinating when I was trying to write my sermon. And I saw this clip pop up, and it was um, Billie Eilish. And uh, she was meeting some of her fans. It was an advertisement for uh, the Just Dance video game. So they got these like young teenage girls who are like playing the game and they've got, you know, Billie Eilish's the cartoon on the screen that they're copying her movements and they're doing the thing. And they have her like come in the back and then they realize that she's like in the room with them and they all just freak out, you know. And without fail, all these girls, they, they say, can I hug you? And then they give her, just embrace her in that moment. And I started to cry. It was like, am I just a softy? Am I just like weird? No, because in that moment I thought, man, Jesus is right there with us. He's right there with us. 
And we just don't take the time to look and acknowledge that he's there. Now, I'm not saying that if you think, okay, intellectually, Jesus is here, and then so I'm just going to like hug the air, and this is like Jesus is hugging me. I'm not saying that, not saying that. But I am saying when you, uh, these girls adore Billie Eilish. When you adore Jesus, he will meet you. I know those moments. I've had those moments. And they often come unexpectedly, like in this video, right? All of a sudden, the reality of Billie Eilish right in front of them, they were looking at an icon of Billie Eilish on the video, and they were trying to follow the icon of Billie Eilish on the video, just like we are constantly following the icon of Jesus. We're always following the image of him, the thing that we can see, like the cross, like these icons that we see around here are images that help us learn to imitate him and to follow him. The word is the greatest icon. The Bible is the greatest icon of who Jesus is and how we follow him. But then they became aware of the reality of Billie Eilish in the room. And that special moment. And this girl hugs her and she goes, you are my everything. And it's a little sad, right? You know, it's like, hopefully this girl has more than you are my everything. But it really worked for my analogy. Like when you see Jesus, you just know he is your everything, Right? So I pray that you have a Billie Eilish moment sometime in the future. In the symbolic way, you see Jesus in your life, that you adore him. You Im- they were even imitating her movements. That's what they were doing. They were trying to emulate this person they adore, just like we do with Jesus. And like Bar- blind Bartimaeus, I hope that he pulls back the veil and he reveals himself to you in your life. And when your eyes are open, following Jesus becomes your only option. So if you find yourself in sin or doubt or fear or anxiety or anger, turn away from that. Go to the gates. Call out for mercy. Jesus is there. He is beckoning for you to come to him. Shed the cloak of your sin and he will heal you of your spiritual blindness and you'll be set free to follow him. And over time, as you increase in faith, hope, and love, you will come to love what he commands and obtain his promises. It's all good news today. That's where we're going. He who has begun a good work in you will see it to completion. This message isn't just for the good Christian people. This is for all the Christians. Anybody who calls upon his name will be saved. This is our journey. Do you want to get on the ticket? You want to get on the ride now or you want to put it off another day? I want to go now. I want to follow now. I want healing now. Amen? Amen. Please stand. Let us confess the faith of our fathers. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and of all things, visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. 
he suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and is seated on the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory, to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. And I believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Let us pray for the church and for the world. Father, we pray for your holy Catholic church. Grant that every member of your church may truly and humbly serve you. We pray for all bishops, priests, and deacons. We pray for all who govern and hold authority in the nations of the world. Give us grace to do your will in all that we undertake. Have compassion on those who suffer from any grief or trouble. Give to the departed eternal rest. We praise you for your saints who have entered into joy. May we also come to share in your heavenly kingdom. Heavenly Father, you show mercy to the blind man who called out to you in faith. Hear our prayer and give us the faith to trust you in all life circumstances. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Peace of the Lord be always with you. Share the peace with your neighbors. The Lord with thy spirit. So I asked Jesse for the uh, announcements. We only have really one announcement, and it's the men's retreat. And um, you've got the information up here. Eric Reed has specifically asked, uh, he needs to know if you're going. And so there's a, I should be a list out front, right? Yeah. I think there's a list uh, up. Maybe not, but let me or him Yeah, know. let one of us know. Yeah. If you're going to go, we'll make sure that Eric knows so we can be sure we get enough rooms. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we need to get the money in uh, probably by the end of the month. That's one week. Next weekend is the last. So uh, get your money in, but let Eric know through uh, Jesse. All right. Now, this last weekend was the clergy retreat, and I was, uh, because of work, I wasn't able to go. But Jesse went up there, and it was a great retreat. We had Bishop Bates that came out, our patriarch, and Bishop Kessler, and all the Western Diocese clergy that were there. And there was a great event Friday night. You want to tell about that? Yeah, so I mentioned it in my sermon. Of course, we ordained uh, John House, beloved brother of ours, um, and he is now Father John House, and it was just an amazing service. I'm going to share just briefly what he shared after the service, and I hope that he's okay with me sharing this story. But in the middle of the ordination, um, we have the ordinands prostrate themselves uh, on the floor as we sing, Come Holy Spirit. And it gets incense, and it's a great time of prayer, and that's when we're actually reading prayers for him. 
And he said in that moment he had this vision that Jesus was taking him to a river. And he said, I am always your source. And as he's, of course, taking up this immense burden of leading the people of God, operating in this operation as a priest, it's such, such an encouraging word. I am your source. He's ready to lead us to the river. So I just, it was such an amazing time, and so many friends and loved ones came. That's why some of the pews are empty. They're still up there for his first Sunday at Henderson. And so just keep him in your prayers as he starts up his ministry. But, yeah, you all know who know John. It's going to be really good. He actually is going to, um, he's planning on coming to preach uh, for us in January, uh, one, of, one of the Sundays that we're kind of working that out. So hopefully we'll get to hear Father John House from this pulpit sometime soon. Uh, the other thing is next week we have uh, Bishop Bates who's going to come down here and be preaching here next weekend. Um, the, the 31st, is that right? Yep. Yeah. Feast. the All Eve. Eve. All Hallows Eve, yeah. Eve of All Saints Day. And then we'll probably celebrate All Saints Day on the Sunday. Well, I saw a bumper sticker that said Jesus Ween. They were like trying to like take over Halloween. Doesn't work. Nope. Don't do that. All Hallows Eve, Halloween, those are better than Jesus Ween. <laughs> as we prepare to celebrate, sorry, as we prepare to receive the body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist, let us respond to God's word by engaging with him in musical worship and presenting to God our tithes and offerings out of that which God has given to us. Together, through Christ, let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. But do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God.
walked in today, I found out that uh, our, our beloved Giovanni uh, lost your, your brothers, passed away this week. And so we want to offer up this Eucharist for you and for your family uh, in this time of grief. It's a difficult time, but we know that God will be with you. We welcome all baptized believers to receive the body and blood of Christ. This is the table of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have not been here long, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed. Come, because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. Come to the table. The Lord be with you. Lift up your heart. Give thanks to the Lord our God. Father, all powerful and ever living God, we do well always and everywhere to give you thanks in Jesus Christ our Lord. Through his cross and resurrection, he freed us from sin and death and called us to the glory that has made us a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people set apart. Everywhere we proclaim your mighty works. You've called us out of darkness into your own wonderful light. And so with all the choirs of angels in heaven, we proclaim your glory and join in their unending hymn of praise. fountain of all holiness. Let your Holy Spirit come upon these gifts to make them holy, so they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Before he was given up to death, the death he freely accepted, he took bread and he gave you thanks, broke it, and he gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When supper was entered, he took the cup again and gave you thanks and praise. He gave the cup to his disciples and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. Let us, therefore, proclaim the mystery of our faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. 
and Christ will come again. In memory of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Father, this life-giving bread, this saving cup. We thank you for counting us worthy to stand in your presence and to serve you. May all of us who share in the body and blood of Jesus be brought together in unity by the Holy Spirit. Lord, remember your church throughout the world. Make us grow in love together with our patriarch Craig, our Bishop Douglas, and with all the clergy. Remember those for whom we now pray. Connie, Susan, Carl, Serena, Naomi, Sonia, Sandra, Karen, Tammy, Maria, Kyla, Jean, Mario, Patrick, Ramona, Laura, Robert, the Lynn family, the Mountain family, the Scirocco family, the Marines and Sailors of Camp Pendleton, and all those who serve in our armed forces. Other names may be added for those you are praying for. Draw our hearts to remember the poor and the broken. As we receive the body and blood of Jesus, may we be transformed to become the body of Christ to the world. Have mercy on us all. Make us worthy to share eternal life with the apostles, with the martyrs, with St. Michael and all thy saints. May we praise you in union with him and give you glory through your Son, Jesus Christ. By him, with him, and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory are yours, Almighty Father, forever and ever. Jesus taught us to call God our Father, and so we have the courage to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Alleluia. Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the peace. Alleluia. <laughs> Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Have mercy upon us. Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Have mercy upon us. Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. The gifts of God for the people of God, take them in remembrance that Jesus died for you and feed on them in your hearts with thanksgiving. Blessed are those who were called to his supper.
part of the gospel spirit. I didn't put on my cloak. <laughs> I forgot to put on the chasuble. My apologies. <laughs> and that's not a cloak of sin. So. I love that story, though, about throwing off the cloak. You know, he didn't need it anymore. That's part of him being a beggar, a blind beggar, was having that cloak. That's how he survived. And he just threw it off because he knew that Jesus had called him and was going to meet his needs, which is a great thing for us. Throw off the sin that's so easily entangled. You don't need it. You don't need that security blanket, whatever it is. So anyway, just it was a great message. And for Jesse, his last day at 28. Tomorrow's his birthday, the Feast of St. Crispin. Lord have mercy. So happy birthday tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Let us pray. Eternal God, Heavenly Father, 
You have graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And you have fed us with the spiritual food and the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Say, Michael the archangel, defend us in the battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who wander throughout the world seeking the ruin of souls. And as you go out from this place, always remember the gospel. God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself, not counting our sins against us. God loves us. God has forgiven us. God's not even mad at us. And God will never leave us or forsake us. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, be with you and those you love and care for now and forever. Amen. Amen.